Greetings, listeners, if any, and welcome to DM Dad, the podcast about playing Dungeons and Dragons and other role-playing games with kids. A great way to spend time with your family, now that your friends are too old and have all moved away. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic hearts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Christ the highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, laid in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased is man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the new So uh, until somebody phones me up and tells me to stop, I'm going to keep doing the music all through December. So that was Bad Religion with Hark the Herald Angels Sing, the opening track from their Christmas album. Bad Religion is probably the last punk band I would expect to do a Christmas album. And they are probably the last band in the world I would expect to do a Christmas album of mostly religious carols. I always interpreted their name literally, that they were saying religion is bad. Um, and their insignia, at least during the time that I was uh, a regular listener, was a cross in the no sign, the red circle with the line through it. And I always took that pretty literally, that uh, they, like Karl Marx, believed religion to be the opiate of the people and that you should eschew it in favor of rational scientific thought. Um, and yet their Christmas album is replete with all the religious carols. And, you know, a lot of people probably know and seeing one verse of a song like Hark the Herald Angels Sing, but when you hear the extended version with all the verses, and including the ones that are less familiar, they seem even more religious because you probably get to taking the, the first verse for granted, almost like 
it doesn't you, you don't even think hard about what it's actually saying but when you get to a new verse you hear all those words maybe for the first time and it's like wow this is really religious and you know there's no shortage of secular Christmas songs, both traditional, like Jingle Bells and Deck the Halls, which have literally no religious imagery whatsoever, to, you know, um, 20th century classics like Blue Christmas. You know, you could even cover some fairly recent, do an ironic cover of like the Justin Bieber one, you know? I mean, it's a crappy song, but you could do a funny punk version of it. So I have absolutely no idea why Bad Religion chose to cover so many religious songs. Um, but there you go. So today's story comes from the first game of d and I ever ran for my daughter. It was our solo game. It was my homebrew 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons adventure. Um, when I was designing it... Um, I took a lot of inspiration from the rules because I was reading them for the first time. And, and uh, I'm referring specifically to the uh, free basic rules that used to get as two different PDFs, um, the basic rules and the DM's basic rules. They've now been combined into a single PDF. Um, they've been advertising, Wizards of the Coast have been advertising this as if it's like some brand new thing. I've skimmed through it. Um, I haven't done like a you know, a thorough comparison, but it doesn't look to me like they've actually changed or added any material. They've just combined them into one PDF. And that's a pretty simple procedure. So I feel like they're patting themselves on the back for nothing over that one. If they've completely reinvented the wheel, um, when really they've just made two PDFs into one PDF. And since both have always been free, there's really no point. Um, it was a useless exercise. But anyways, at the time that I first got the the free downloadable rules, I was really uh, inspired by some of the mechanics, particularly like movement rates and overland travel and how terrain can affect your travel pace and stuff. So I, I had my starting town, which is a starting town I was using for quite a while, marked down, which was inspired by tubing in Germany where I used to live uh, when I was an undergraduate has a really beautiful medieval town. And I wanted that to be the safe place, the place that, you know, you could always go to to rest and heal up and you, you wouldn't have to worry about uh, monsters invading or attacking and stuff like that. And then the first, uh, the first part of the adventure had to do with a remote, isolated village that was being attacked regularly by a group of brigands who were taking all their crops. It's basically... Uh, Seven Samurai or the Magnificent Seven. That's that's where I stole the information or inspiration for that uh, that particular part of the adventure. And I to make sure that the village was isolated, it had to be hard to get to. So I put some difficult terrain in between Marked Dam and the village of Brunthor. And specifically, I chose wetland because wetlands is the most difficult to traverse. Wetlands and mountains. And I really wanted to do some kind of swampy, marshy things. Um, and based on the travel pace they could achieve, it was highly unlikely that they would make it in just one day. So when the party got the adventure hook... Um, 
the the NPC who gave them the quest warned them not to go through the marshes by night. The marshes would be a lot more difficult and dangerous to traverse if they got caught there in the dark. And I felt it was only fair to give them a warning. You know, you always need to give players some information so they can make a decision. Um, what I was hoping, the choices I, the, the choices I was hoping to steer them into, or steer my daughter into, was they could leave within the hour of getting the, uh, the adventure hook and possibly be ill-prepared, but be able to make it all the way or at least most of the way through the marshes before nightfall and thus minimize their risk. Or pay for a room in an inn, and there were three inns in this uh, this town, a cheap one, an expensive one, and a middle-priced one. And then they would have the rest of the afternoon to go shopping for gear and to prepare as, as, as much as they wanted to, and then they could leave first thing in the morning. In which case, they would certainly <clears throat> be able to cross the marshes um, in daylight and minimize their risk, but um, it would delay their departure. And that was really as much decision-making as I was hoping to introduce at this point. But as players always do, my daughter surprised me. She was playing an elf. So when my NPC said, don't cross the marshes at night, she said, don't worry, I have dark vision. And so she took a third option, which was prepare at her leisure and depart by night and cross the entire marshes in darkness. You might say maximizing her risk. So... Um, yeah, I totally did not see that coming. And the outcome of this, um, I had put, I had put um, an adventure site in the marshes proper. It was a, an apparently abandoned mill. And the inspiration for this was the Satanic Mill, um, a, a novel I read when I was, I don't know, about 12 or 13, about um, a mill in some wetlands in... Uh, Saxony, which is part of modern-day Germany, um, which is actually a school for witchcraft. So that's what's in this 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 mill. Um, there's a there's an evil wizard and his thirteen apprentices who can turn into ravens, and they live there. And they have a deal where on a certain night of the month, uh, the night of the new moon, basically the devil comes up and takes possession of some souls that they've managed to uh, procure for him, um, which they deliver in the form of sacks of grain as if they've been milled, but they're actually the souls of, uh, of people, including the occasional sacrifice of one of his own um, apprentices. Beneath this mill, so in addition to that they might stumble upon this transaction and have a high-level fiend to deal with. Beneath the mill is actually a dungeon, um, which is the lair of the uh, the evil mage and his apprentices. And when I built that dungeon, I built it for at least third level, even though at the t I knew at the time that the, the party would first see it, they would be first level. And I did that because I thought if every single thing that you encounter 
is perfectly balanced for your level and you never ever stumble across something that is too powerful for you, then the world's going to feel fake. So, you know, I, I made sure that, the, that this, uh, this highly dangerous, in fact, even deadly area was, was in their way, sort of. On the other hand, if you saw it by daytime, it would just look like an abandoned building. It would look like a, a dilapidated mill that doesn't even work, and it would appear deserted unless you found a secret door. And again, the uh, the NPC who gave them the quest warned them, do not approach or investigate any structures you see along the way. Because, you know, you need to have a hint of danger. Of course, a lot of times when you tell PCs, don't go someplace that's too dangerous, they actually go there. So my daughter traverses the marshes in the dead of night. The full moon rises and illuminates the mill, and she decides to go out of her way, risking – because there is a path through the marshes, which you can sort of follow. She decides to leave the path, head for the mill, risking getting lost, and investigate this mill. On the way, she fights some skeletons. Skeletons aren't too challenging, especially in 5th edition, so they go down pretty easy. Um, she manages to break the door down um, to get into the middle. She's an elf, so she manages to find the secret door. She goes ahead and explore, starts exploring the dungeon. She doesn't get all the way through it, Um it was her first time in a dungeon setting and the descriptions of it and stuff, it really kind of creeped her out. So before she got, before she came face to face with anything too challenging, she actually decided to, you know, cut her losses and run. She did, however, explore it more thoroughly later when she had leveled up and when she got a bit braver as a player as well. And I'm not talking about whether her character would die, but just in terms of her as the player listening to the descriptions, you know, the description of the dungeon itself um, scared her a bit. She was only six. So uh, when she got a bit braver, she explored the dungeon more thoroughly, and she was of a, of a level that she could handle a lot of the, uh, the, the creatures and challenges down there. And one of the things she discovered was a suit of plate mail, plus one, and fire-resistant. Now, I did not put that in there. Uh, I didn't design it. I rolled it randomly on a table. Because um, by this time, I had the Dungeon Master's Guide for 5th edition and stuff, and I could use uh, random tables to uh, to stock it with items and things. And uh, it turned out um, that finding that suit of plate mail, she was playing a paladin so she could use it, um, really saved her ass when she finally uh, faced the adult red dragon, which was the culmination and uh, the kind of boss fight of this uh, of this adventure I wrote for her. She was the only one who didn't drop to zero hit points because she had a magical plate mail of fire resistance. I'll maybe tell that story another time. But, yeah, I was thinking about... Um, unexpected things that child players can do you know she understood the mechanics of her character she was very happy that she could see in the dark and that made her feel confident to travel dangerous paths by night 
And, you know, in a way she found out the hard way that the danger isn't just of not being able to see. But she survived and lived to tell the tale and everybody had fun. So there you go.